in the sustainability space, the environmental sustainability space, I think it's a shared responsibility. You know, we feel like there is a lot of onus on, on farms to, to change practices or, or demonstrate change uh, to, to whether it's fit into some different markets or to, to meet the public demand or public needs. Um, but there are so many of us in the surrounding industry to farms that, that have a, a responsibility in these, in these actions as well. You know, as, are there ways that we can reduce the barriers to making any changes, whether a farm wants to or not? That's another question. But I think we all have a shared responsibility and can find ways for, um, for different actions that, that we can play. You know, a very simple one is just even sim- simply, uh, I'll use the example of incorporating cover crops into an operation, an integrated crop and livestock operation. The use of cover crops, right, is... Uh, precursor to lowering the, the carbon footprint for, for feed production, and depending how you count it different ways. Um, you know, does a, does a vet have a role in, in cover crop adoption? Well, I'm not sure, but at a minimum, it's knowing that that's a, how that fits into a sustainability plan or a sustainability metric and how it changes it. But if it's, you know, a decision about using a, a a specific antimicrobial or feed additive, right? Vets and nutritionists have a different role and then perhaps someone on the structural side, less of one and it's more just that knowledge of what it is versus guiding, making a decision. And so I I like to explore what this shared responsibility is so that the onus is not just solely on the farms, it's on us as an industry as a whole that want to, you know, want to promote that continuous improvement in, in livestock production. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry, one that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts. MS Gold, the best hygiene products in livestock farming. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Cloud Farms, swine management to the next level. We have a time and labor-saving product for you. AgriSlats by Healthy Farms is your solution. No more lugging jugs around the barn every month. With AgriSlats, you simply drop the slat through the floor twice a year, and it works to break down solids, reduces crusting and forming. To learn more, visit MyHealthyFarms.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Swine It Podcast. I'm Tara Donovan. I'm going to be your host today, and I'd like to introduce our guest, Dr. Aaron Cortis. Dr. Cortis is an associate professor and extension engineer at the University of Minnesota. Welcome to our show, Aaron. Thanks for having me. Let's start off today with uh, you sharing a little bit about, about your background and your career path with us. Happy to. I was born and raised in Saskatchewan, and so I'm one of the few people who can say they moved to Minnesota for the weather. I grew up, uh, I like to say I had a kind of a combination of an urban and rural background. I grew up in a city, but my dad is a full-time farmer, and so I was able to kind of bridge that that gap between growing up in a, in a, 
relatively small city, but also spending time on a farm and recognizing the role of agriculture, you know, in the world and in society. As uh, as an agricultural engineer, uh, I studied at the University of Saskatchewan, and it was in my uh, in my undergraduate uh, years when I started working at a research swine barn just outside of Saskatoon, and you know, it was a life-changing experience. I, I took the job just because I wanted an ag engineering job one summer, and that was one of the opportunities. Um, but it really set the course for the rest of my life on about the third day. I was helping set up some air quality experiments and recognized that the work that I was helping, or that I was contributing to, had implications for the animals in the barn, the workers in the barn, the surrounding environment, and, of course, the communities around the barn. And so after, um, after my undergraduate and then my PhD, also at the University of Saskatchewan, I was, I was very lucky to be part of the National Air Emissions Monitoring Study as a postdoc. And that was some work that was led out of Purdue, but it involved universities from across the United States. And this was back around 2006 to 2010 or so. But that experience introduced me to more than just pigs introduced me to a, a broad array of animals and, and the emission patterns and, and what comes from, from those barns. But I think more than anything, it also cemented that, that idea that, you know, every farm is different. Every farm has some of these unique characteristics when it comes to air quality and, and just the environmental impact in general. And so we really need to understand the nuances of, of farms if we want to start talking about air quality and what we what we can and what we can't do about it in some cases. So over the last, uh, I guess it's been about 14 years now, I've been a faculty member first at South Dakota State University and now at University of Minnesota. And it's been in this extension research and a little bit of teaching role that I've continued to focus on. Environmental impact of livestock production, but also bridging that, that or translating between the research side and the extension or the applied side of what we do. Thank you for that introduction. So I understand your, er your area of expertise is in sustainability programs for many different livestock, um, different operations, different types of operations. But can you describe to me, um, just so I understand a little bit better, more detail of like the type of programs um, that you work with in the swine, in the swine production? Sure. You know, sustainability is such a big, broad word, and it means different things to different people. And so this is typically one of the first questions that, that is a part of conversation. When I look at sustainability in a very broad sense, right, it is maintaining something into the future. Uh, when it comes to, to swine systems, we can look at it from many different scales, you know, global or national or regional I like to look at sustainability at a farm level. And so what does that mean for an individual farm? For me, every farm has, has different goals, has different goals that they view as keeping them going, maintaining a profitable enterprise with minimal environmental impact into the future. And so it's, it's my role to understand what those goals are for an individual farm but I also see my role as how can we add some more farm-specific details to either monitoring or, or maybe improving uh, the actions that contribute to that plan. 
And so, like I said, I focus on that on that farm scale, and then uh, really it's a look at um, how can we how can we better estimate what what an impact of an individual farm is before we even start talking about any ways to improve the operation. Good. Well, you um, you went into really a great lead off into my next question that that I had for you that I was thinking about is. Um, as a swine veterinarian, I uh, did quite a lot of um, swine welfare assessments um, and our National Pork Board program kind of grew over the years. And there was um, at one point there was uh, some monitoring we were doing with ammonia. And so that was interesting for me. It was an objective measure, um, right? And at least a kind of something tangible as, a, as opposed to being subjective. Um, but we don't, we don't do that in a measurement as a routine basis, even on that assessment anymore. And so um, just wondered from your expertise, what's the best, you know, you mentioned a little bit of monitoring. So what would that look like to you? And would that be something we do, um, you know, every day as the producer or, as we do as a, you know, as a veterinarian and where can we go with that on the farm? In the, in the environmental sustainability space, right? Sustainability is more than environment, but in that environmental sustainability space right now, there's such a big focus on greenhouse gas emissions. Um, There's also a focus on water quality, water recycling, biodiversity, but I'd say the big focus is on greenhouse gas emissions, which are extremely challenging to measure. And, you know, in my, in my career, I've done several different monitoring campaigns for different barns, but it's a very labor intensive and expensive process to do. And, um, and we need to do it for a long time because barns change every day with the growth of animals and every year with the changing of animals and changing of practices. And so when it comes to monitoring, can we, can we measure greenhouse gases? Well, I would say in general, no, <laughs> not, not on every single farm every single day. We do rely heavily on, on model estimates to, to understand or, or make it a, a first pass up to what emissions are. But it has been my goal over the last couple of years to see, well, is there a way that we can put something a little more tangible? into those estimates for greenhouse gas emissions. So for example, with, with swine uh, feed production, the, the, all the cropping practices that go into the production of feed, um, some of the transportation, but then also the manure management, those are two really key pieces to a greenhouse gas footprint for a swine farm. And it's, it's fairly similar in some of the other animals as well. And so on that manure side, how can we, is there something on farm that we can measure that's specific to that farm? And maybe we still need to rely on some models to get to an actual emission rate, but is it get us a little bit closer and a little more farm specific? And do we have a silver bullet there? No, not yet. But I guess that has been the focus of several research projects over the last year. I tend to focus on manure related projects because someone's got to, right? Um, but that is a big piece to these emission estimates. And, and there are some things we can do with the manure, and, and, but it is just a, a product of a farm too. And so how can we work with that? So how about I, I change gears just a little bit? So um, 
part of the mission, part of your mission, um, I understand, is to gain farmer engagement in sustainability programs. And, you know, how do you how do you go about doing that? What's your goal there? And maybe even other swine industry stakeholders like myself, how do you get our attention on communicating the important information around sustainability? That has been a, a big, big focus of my extension work over the last couple of years as well. Uh, did some work with the swine with swine farms, and right now I'm I'm working with dairy systems in our region. I do feel that sustainability is a very personal journey for a, for a farm, and I think that's an important aspect for for me to recognize and and an important assumption that I go into these conversations with. But I also think that we need to be active in this journey, but. When you start a journey, you need a starting point. For that, that starting point, in my opinion, is some form of baseline calculation. Is um, the the swine industry over the years has developed several different calculators or versions of a calculator to figure out what is that starting point for for some environmental sustainability metrics. And and so a focus of the projects that I've been involved with has been just simply in understanding what those starting points are. From some experience working with swine farmers in in this region in the it's over the last five years or so, you know these calculations aren't uh, aren't necessarily commonplace. They're growing in in popularity and, and growing in use. But when we first started, there weren't a lot of um, people that had that baseline as a starting point. And I, I felt that the power in seeing those those numbers. As, as crude as they are, frankly, right? Because they are a lot basically model-based. Um, you know, starting with that number, it even it gave a glimpse into what is being used in these baseline metrics. And so it introduces the conversation that uh, a footprint is more than just the manure storage. A footprint is more than just the electricity used on the farm. A carbon footprint greenhouse gas footprint, you know, can include the feed production, the manure storage, all the energy use that goes into that, into that live animal production. And it broadens the conversation and also helps identify where are the, not necessarily the priority areas, but where is, what are the different contributions to different areas? And so that's been, I felt that that was illuminating for a lot of people when they first saw footprints. To keep moving in this journey um, of continuous improvement, I, I don't want to say necessarily sustainability journey, but in, in that journey of continuous improvement, to to keep moving from the baselines, though, you know, we do need we need something else. We need to be able to answer that uh, now what question, you know, and, and many of the uh, commodity groups have looked at comparing you know, a farm footprint relative to a regional average or a national average. And that gives some, some guidelines as to where a farm is relative to others. Um, we're right now exploring the, the, the viability, the power of peer groups to even further explore those because, you know, we can look at different numbers, but until we know some of the context behind why this farm has this number and this farm has a different number, it's hard to understand, well, what do we do next? What is really going to change a metric in a meaningful way? And so that's been the course of this, uh, the work I've been doing on the, on the extension front and sustainability is really starting with, with baselines, understanding what they are, 
And, and then now, what do we do to move forward from there? Aaron, I think you're exactly right. Um, when I first was trying to understand what does sustainability mean to me, um, you know, it seems uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces to it. And so getting a baseline or understanding, maybe just taking a model farm, you know, an average finisher in Iowa, for instance, or Minnesota, and what are the impacts of that farm um, and understanding those um, helped me to kind of get a grasp of what are the different pieces and how could we go about doing some comparison, right? Or benchmarking, maybe a better word for that. So, yeah, one of the, I mean, one of the challenges we always come back to is that there is oftentimes this big, huge focus on greenhouse gas emissions, but it is more than that. The environmental impact is more than greenhouse gas emissions. And we don't necessarily have a, even set of, of tools for different environmental impacts at this point. But, but that's where these conversations and, you know, just more conversation versus just telling, right? More conversation about impacts has, has, a, lot of, has a lot of place. The example that I like to use is with um, when we look at greenhouse gases from, from manure storages, if we can remove manure more frequently from a manure storage, we can reduce the greenhouse gas footprint for a farm actually fairly substantially. And so it looks like a win. It's, it's something that we're already doing. We just need to do it more often. But that comes with water quality concerns. You know, in our manure management practices, we, we, we often empty the manure storages in, in our region once a year because it's easiest to get into the fields in the fall. And if we can apply it when it's cold, we're not risking a lot of loss of nutrients. If we go in the summer or spring, excuse me, in the wet season, you know, there's some waterborne loss risks that, that need to be part of this conversation too, right? And so trying to balance these different goals in sustainability conversations, um, it really does take conversations and, and looking at uh, both problems and solutions from different aspects. And also, you know, if you think about the inputs or the costs associated, right, with the movement of that manure or pumping any, any equipment, labor, um, there's, a, there's a piece to that. Um, and then also, you know, not just the impact of, you know, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, but then coming back full circle and what is the value, right? What value are these farms bringing? And, um, you know, so putting the whole puzzle piece together puzzle together, I think, is important in that conversation. And we haven't even touched on biosecurity, right? <laughs> you know, that falls under under this whole umbrella as well. And every all of these different actions that we have on farms have biosecurity implications too. Uh, yes, you actually led right into my other question. How could I be a veterinarian doing this interview without <laughs> asking about biosecurity? So, um, just in, you know, in your words and your perspective, um, where do the two meet, right? Where biosecurity is, a, is also, you know, one of these, you know, big um, uh, words that we use that encompass a lot of different things. And so tell me your view of how sustainability, um, you know, collides with biosecurity. I think where the rubber meets the road in that, for that question is that um, a footprint or our environmental impact, we often express relative to the amount that we're producing. So a footprint is the, the impact greenhouse gases produced or, or consumed in the production of something. And so that's what your numerator is in a footprint, but the denominator, what's on the bottom, 
is how much of something you're producing, the functional unit. So the pound of pork, the number of pigs, it can be different units. So with biosecurity, what we're trying to do, right, is prevent the spread of disease on or off a farm and ultimately um, enhance uh, the the productivity of those animals and and the production of those animals. And so the, the health, the comfort, the productivity of our animals is the denominator of that um, of that footprint. The larger we make a denominator, the smaller a number is. And so, you know, mathematically, that's where biosecurity fits into uh, the sustainability, uh, into the sustainability, one of the sustainability equations, I should say. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it, actually. Um, you know, seems very simple. Right for a, for yeah, pretty the denominator pretty, for pretty complicated uh, you know processes, but I think that's exactly right to simplify you know where they collide would would um, that's a great that's a great example. I mean, both are both sustainability and biosecurity are uh, you know we're, we end up talking about practices uh, or you know potential changes to improve something. But they all come with a cost. They all come with additional work and, and is what is the payoff in, in both cases? Um, you know, is it worth going through those extra steps of, of showering or Danish entries in, in all facilities or even adding filtration and kind of what's that, what's that payback is a decision on the, on the biosecurity side. And, and we have those questions on, on the environmental side as well when we look at practices. Right, exactly. And both areas require, you know, education and communication. Um, and that's really, it, you know, it sounds like um, an area that you're working on is, is you know, how do we, how do we communicate um, the importance of this to producers and then beyond? We just finished up a, a research project. It was looking at actually biosecurity practices during the, the entry process. We constructed three fake hallways in in our lab on campus and then invited people to come go through the hallways following protocols for biosecure entry with different levels of different numbers of steps, basically just signing a logbook or changing boots or even going through a, a bench system. And we we looked at do is the response different if people hear the instructions, see the instructions, or just listen to the instructions? And so we didn't we didn't see any difference in how people received the instructions, but we did see some, you know, other differences in the number of errors and type of errors based on which room it was or how many steps there were. So the the communication aspect and the training aspect is is fascinating to me as well. I feel like um, I spent my entire career trying to understand how to simplify really difficult processes, right? And how do we pick the ones that are um, most important if we don't think we can get them all done every day, right? Um, and and I think that's an area in our in our industry with disease prevention that that we've got to work on. Yeah, I, I admire all the all the work that the the vets do and, and such too you know, add to our monitoring toolbox as well in this, uh, in this, in this area. Right. So I'm going to switch gears just a little bit because um, I, I saw a publication you had recently about a teaching method that maybe could be used in a discipline like yours um, or um, in engineering. And, 
how do we teach um, students that that are interested in this area um, better, or or how do how do we get more involvement? I've really enjoyed exploring different teaching methods over <laughs> over my career. I don't teach as much in the classroom as I used to, but it's always fun to explore how do we how can we impart that better. And one of the one of the aspects that I used to teach was manure management and how do you how do you help someone be a manager, right? And make some of those decisions and how do you put them into that decision decision seat as part of a class. Um, so a couple different ways we've tried it, but uh, one way is we we frankly made compost piles for people to manage. They had to manage a compost pile or the students had to manage a compost pile, make decisions about turning or adding water, make some make decisions in order to produce a viable product at the end. I mean, that's just experiential learning in a nutshell, right? But it, it still uh, takes effort to implement those, that in, in a class and find places to compost, of course. Um, but the other, another way that we've tried to bring the world, real world to, to students is in the in the case of siting livestock operations, there's there is a public piece to the siting of livestock operations, and how can we bring that that experience, that real world set of questions that the public are going to want answers to into the classroom? And so, similarly, in in, the ma- in a management class, you know, with, with managing, you have to have a plan, and and in a public public forum setting, how can you get feedback on that plan, good or bad, and, and questions. And so in, in past classes, we facilitated bringing in external reviewers that are familiar with the citing, citing process to, to query the students as they present their plans and kind of dig a little bit deeper into have you thought about this and what's, the, what's going to be the impact on, on me as a fake neighbor to this operation. So there's different ways to incorporate that, that experience into the classroom if we're willing to try. Um, but time and effort <laughs> is, is there, has, or has to be there to make it happen. Erin, that's really fascinating because I think if I look back at my education and my experience, you know, the hands-on approach, right, um, is that to me, there's nothing better than that. So I think that's that's very um, interesting and, and great uh, what I just heard and and even even um, you know the the um, kind of practice citing right to understand where does the emotions come in then right because because that's that's a pretty um, emotional topic I think um, and and certainly in your space something that some of those students are going to have to deal with um, in their career so that's that's great so. Erin, we're rounding out our time together. And before we go to the three ending questions that we ask all of our guests, um, is there any final thoughts that you want to share with us? Some just final key take homes or things that you want to challenge um, us as industry stakeholders to, to do? In the, in the sustainability space, the environmental sustainability space, I think it's a shared responsibility. You know, we, I feel like there is a lot of, onus on on farms to to change practices or, or demonstrate change uh, to to whether it's fit into some different markets or to to meet the public demand or public needs um, but 
there are so many of us in the surrounding industry to farms that that have a, a responsibility in these in these actions as well. You know, as are there ways that we can reduce the barriers to making any changes, whether a farm wants to or not? That's another question. But I think we all have a shared responsibility and can find ways for um, for different actions that that we can play. You know, a very simple one is just even sim- simply. Uh, I'll use the example of incorporating cover crops into an operation, an integrated crop and livestock operation. The use of cover crops, right, is uh, a precursor to lowering the, the carbon footprint for, for feed production, and depending how you count it different ways. Um, you know, does a, does a vet have a role in, in cover crop adoption? Well, I'm not sure, but at a minimum, it's knowing that that's how that fits into a sustainability plan or a sustainability metric and how it changes it. But if it's, you know, a decision about using a, a specific antimicrobial or feed additive, right? Vets and nutritionists have a different role. And then perhaps someone on the structural side, less of one, and it's more just that knowledge of what it is versus guiding, making a decision. And so I, I like to explore what this shared responsibility is so that the onus is not just solely on the farms, it's on us as an industry, as a whole, that want to, you know, want to promote that continuous improvement in, in livestock production. I like that. I think, I think our whole um, industry, you know, it, it is a shared responsibility, right? And we, we're all stakeholders. And so understanding maybe not all the detail of each other's disciplines, but at least to be an advocate um, and to understand what you're working on and what you're doing for our, for our producers, um, you know, I can help with um, at least having that knowledge of, you know, uh, I met, you know, Dr. Cordes and she's working on this and they're looking into this. Right. So I think that's 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 the shared responsibility or how I take that. Right. Yeah. And I think it can be as simple as on the environmental sustainability side. Um, many farms are having assessments done, but. We could all take a minute to look at one, what one of those reports looks like. You know, so it's not foreign. And we know what goes into those reports as, uh, as someone who advises, a st- uh, as someone who advises or works with livestock producers, just so it's not foreign. And we know what some of these decision-making tools that, that the farmers are working with, just so we know what they look like. Whether we can, our actions, that's a, that's a next step. But even just that knowledge of what these reports look like can be powerful. Right. So our homework is make sure that we're knowledgeable about a sustainability report. Right. I think that's That's a great starting point. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wise Minutes, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time-consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at The Help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business. It's time for our famous three. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Feed flow. Feed is too expensive to ignore. 
take control with FeedFlow. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. AccuFast, the best way to predict the future is to create it. Start creating your future today at AccuFastSwine.com. Okay, so now the three questions that we ask all of our guests. The first one, uh, Aaron, is what's your favorite book or resource that you use in your area of expertise? A book that I've thoroughly enjoyed as an extension uh, specialist is called The Art of Gathering. Um, as someone who frankly enjoys putting together meetings for that experience, that collective experience, this The Art of Gathering goes beyond a, a meeting format, but it just explores what it means and what it takes to put together a meeting that engages everybody. They don't all work, right? <laughs> Not all meetings meetings work that way, but I, I just enjoyed the creativity and a different way to think about gatherings that I got from that book. Oh, great. Great. I'll have to check that one out. Um, the next one is, what is your favorite book or resource outside of agriculture? something that you use or that, that meant something to you? Yeah, I, I do really enjoy reading. Um, and I'll admit that uh, I do much prefer reading fiction to nonfiction whenever I can help it. Um, but to, to get away from work, I just love a good, good mystery novel to, to really pull my, pull my attention and keep my attention, but still keep me engaged and guessing all the time. Oh, that's great. So the last one, Erin, is share with us an an attribute or characteristic that you feel sets successful professionals uh, apart from others. I think we have to be willing to admit when we've made mistakes. We have to be willing to admit, um, you know, if we made some wrong assumptions in a decision. I guess I've, I've been told, especially by students, you know, that they appreciate my my honesty and my willingness to say, I made a mistake. I was wrong here. This, this isn't your fault. This was my guidance. And, and, but this is how we can move on. This is how we can move forward from this point. You know, so some people will say, you know, that that's maybe not the best, uh, best approach, but for me, it's worked well. And it's, it's, it's where I, where I sit in this decision-making process. Well, and I think if we don't make mistakes, we, um, we won't learn, you know, from what we try, right? So I think that's sort of a, a bit of the circle of learning and teaching and doing. Um, so, but definitely humility and, and honesty is, is the, the best approach. So, well, I appreciate the time that you spent with us today. Um, again, this is uh, Dr. Aaron Cortis uh, with the University of Minnesota. And um, Thank you for listening to our uh, Swinet podcast today and look forward to um, uh, hearing what we have in store for next week. The journey of a hero has challenges, battles, and villains. But after the fight is won, new paths are open and it's time to catch our breath and move forward more powerful and super than ever and you hero of the swine industry do you have your cape ready to take new flights
Swine Talks 2023, December 6th and 7th. Together, we're more super than any obstacle.